0: Hello and welcome to episode nine of the Jordan's Pathway Podcast. In this episode we will be reading chapter seven Jordan's World. Jordan's Pathway is the true life story of Jordan, a boy diagnosed with autism and a book written by his grandmother Caroline Frankie and Roland Bush Cavell. And I'm your host, Roland Bush Cavell. This podcast is a chapter by chapter reading of Jordan's Pathway, and as ever, I will be reading for Caroline Frankie. Jordan's grandmother. We hope you enjoy our book, and if you would like to know more, please do either visit jordanspathway.co.uk or visit Amazon, where Jordan's pathway is available in paperback and in Kindle versions. This is Jordan's Story. Chapter 7 Jordan's World Being able to see past the obvious is a useful trait, and it can help us in understanding ourselves and others. In the case of Jordan, Seeing things from his perspective was just one way we applied this idea. The clearer the vision you have of your autistic child's situation, the more you are able to help them. So, we regularly spent time putting ourselves, in our minds, in Jordan's shoes and identifying with what the world must feel like to him. When any human being is born into this world, we are confronted with an overwhelming panoply of images, a crescendo of unintelligible noises Sensations and smells that threaten to overwhelm us. Even the greatest of us will cry upon our arrival into such a seemingly chaotic environment. And yet, today, in our minds, that same world is far more ordered and understandable. Nothing has changed about the world, but everything has changed about how we perceive it. We are able to relate to reality because we have found a way of thinking that allows us to simplify something that is so vast and complicated. So, it is our ability to rationalise that helps us to confront most situations without dissolving into fear and panic. Without this ability, we might attempt to shut reality out through self-harm when we cannot deal with its impact upon our psyche. Sadly, this ability to form a single, cohesive and unified understanding of reality is lacking in varying degrees in those with autism. And it has robbed Jordan of the kind of sense of continuity that we take for granted. From an early age, it was apparent to me that he was somehow walled off from us, that he only reacted to the immediate, and yet even that immediate environment was to him like a hall of mirrors. We know that many elements of our life are routines we observe because we understand their necessity. Getting up at a certain time helps us to get to work and earn money. Getting into our car or boarding the train or bus means we can meet this commitment and keep a roof over our heads. Engaging in conversation can be pleasant. And is seen as sociable. Ensuring we wear clothes in public means we are not looked upon as strange or whisked off to jail. We have learned our necessary, patent habits and conditioned responses, and most importantly, we also know that there is a rationale and a context for each and every one. Even those that we perform subconsciously have a reason behind them. So we are not robots. Everything we do has a reason, and if the buses were cancelled on a particular day we would find an alternative route. If the building where we worked burnt down, we wouldn't turn up and stay on the charred doorstep waiting to be let in. An autistic person would find it very difficult to make this kind of association. If we are at the beach, we know we wear swimwear and we know that at work we must be fully clothed. An autistic person sees the entire pattern as one thing. They don't appreciate the reasoning behind each action. Instead, their established patterns are one of the few comforts they have in their world. In fact, to a vast degree, they are their world. They do not know that there are reasons for different clothing in different places. They just have the comfort of a routine and that is the source of stability. If an autistic child had learned that they always wear beachwear at the beach, they would, in all likelihood, continue to do so even in the harshest of winters even if they were blue from cold. The patterns they learn can continue for the rest of their lives and once adopted, it is very unlikely they would question or see any aspect of them as strange. This brings an additional aspect to the role of parenting autistic children, taking on responsibility for the growth and expansion of the child's universe, a universe that in other times and in other societies could otherwise be so small that the child would be locked away and would never see the light of day. So, the routines, the repetitive behaviour, the placing of his toys in long, orderly lines from an early age, these are all an attempt by Jordan to establish order. And they have all, at one time or other, in some shape or form, been part of his world. As soon as we knew that our role as a family was to be the carers for an autistic child, with Lisa and Brian bearing the brunt, and me providing emotional support, we set about the work of introducing the world to Jordan, who would otherwise have remained locked in his own universe of misunderstanding. Because everything is so strange and unfathomable to Jordan, we attempt to be his constant. We bring the set patterns of behaviour. We deliver to him a world that we desperately pray he can relate to. And then we work hard to bring new things and flexibility into his life, so that he isn't so afraid of that which he does not know so that he is able to change and we do not create ruts that trap him forever. This journey is perhaps the most enlightening that any parent could have with a child because so often there is a barrier between us and all we have to relate to in Jordan is the knowledge that there is a person trapped within, held distant from us by the nature of his disorder. We try to open windows to his world, to let in everything we see. But to him, the majority of it remains a melange of disassociated facts. Our world to him is one where nothing interconnects. If we were to imagine what it is like to be an autistic child, it would be like watching a seething storm all around us. One where lights appear, facial expressions change, shifting for seemingly no reason, and virtually everything is unfathomable and potentially frightening. Were our brains suddenly rearranged and put together in the same way as Jordan's, it would be enough to send us mad, with the strangeness of it all. We might want to do things unaware of the consequences, try to communicate but be totally blocked. People would talk to us in a strange language we have never heard before. We might be overwhelmed with conflicting feelings and have no idea what these feelings are and where they arise from. We might experience anger and have no idea whatsoever as to why, nor how to control how we react to that emotion. Frustrations would roll over us all the time, and something as simple as ceiling lights and a moving face might strike so directly into our consciousness that it is like we are under some form of assault. Robbed of our usual thought patterns and reasoning, we might be surrounded by people and have no idea as to who they are And their relevance to our lives. Unable to speak, with no language available to us to communicate our needs, we would only be able to express our frustrations through screaming and crying. In reaction to this walled off existence, we might retreat, look away, try to immerse ourselves into our own world of safety, try to bring some form of sense to the world by doing the same thing over and over again, or putting objects in understandable straight lines. In the face of a complete absence of order, we might try to establish our own security or block out the immense waves of confusion by creating bodily sensations that blank them out, running round and round in circles, jumping up and down, rocking backwards and forwards, rolling our eyes, vocalising our distress, anything to blank out a world that has seemingly gone mad and threatens to overwhelm us. So every time you look into the eyes of an autistic child, Try to imagine how you would bear the weight they have to carry every day of their lives. And imagine if it were your son or brother, daughter or sister that shouldered that burden. How would you want those around you to behave? Can you imagine how important security and love are in that world? How important the reactions of those around you are? The burden of autistic child's life lies with us and it shows also how blessed we are to be able to recognise that which they cannot. We need to understand that they are ignorant of our ways, appreciate how difficult just about everything is for them, and recognise that inside is a beloved child. My focus all through Jordan's early years, throughout the problem-strewn pathway he walked, was to find ways to help him and to help Lisa and Brian. Other than his parents, I was the person who knew Jordan best. I was there at his birth and virtually every day of his life and every step of the way up until he went to school. As a constant companion, I knew that the key to working with him was to gain an insight into where his problems originated within his mind, his thought patterns, and to understand how he perceived the world. Making that connection can be an extremely difficult task, especially when you are dealing with a boy whose chief problem lies in communication and is almost totally blocked from understanding himself. However, I was in a privileged position, in that I was able to interact with and observe Jordan for hours at a time, helping to care for him and helping Lisa and Brian in giving him as much love as we were able. I found that by putting myself in his shoes, by attempting to see what life looked like from his perspective, and by mentally positioning myself at his level of understanding, I was able to gain a far greater insight into Jordan's outlook. This helped all of us to understand his frustrations, why they arose and how we could work with Jordan to improve his communication skills. Therefore, the first step in dealing with the learning difficulties around Jordan was to improve our own understanding and educate ourselves as to just what it felt like to be him and to function in a world to which he could not relate. By appreciating what life looked like from Jordan's perspective, it was a very short journey to then identify the reasons behind many of his fears, blocks and barriers. While this insight helped us, it by no means provided us with an overall permanent solution. There were, of course, innumerable elements in his life and persona we needed to deal with because the underlying problem remained. The challenges were constant and working with an autistic child is still never easy. Even if they have the ability to develop, you may still be unable to understand their way of looking at the world and how that creates barriers and fears. In retrospect, we were faced with one simple choice. We could either work around his obstacles, leaving him in a static state and caring for him with no hope of progress, or we could make the only choice we reasonably could and find ways to overcome them that were acceptable to Jordan and would help us, in turn, to bring him on and progress on his pathway. We took the latter course. Open wide. Another problem we faced that was helped by seeing it from Jordan's perspective was when he visited the dentist. Before we could even attempt to do so, the first challenge was to find a dentist who would work with a child with special needs. Thankfully, this didn't take too long and after several phone calls explaining the situation and that there was no way that Jordan could be made to sit in the dentist's chair, we found a dentist willing to work with autistic and special needs children. Again, this was one occasion when we were called upon to both reassure and incentivize Jordan. At first, there was only one way we could coax Jordan into the dentist's chair, and that was to get Brian to lay back in it and Jordan would then, in turn, lay on Brian, with the promise of some reward after the visit. This dentist knew that Jordan needed to be familiarised, and so he progressed very slowly. On the first visit, he had only the briefest of glimpses into Jordan's mouth. On the next visit, he was able to inspect for a little longer. In between each visit, we would teach Jordan to open his mouth for the dentist, getting him to say, "ah." Uh, and constantly reinforcing what he would encounter at the dental surgery. What do you say at the dentist, Jordan? His mouth would stretch unimaginably wide, and then softly we would hear, Ah! Yes, that's right, Jordan. Well done. These tactics worked, and while they may sound like quite simple steps, it is sad to say we saw even this small development as a sign of progress. I know of many autistic children who are only able to have dental work done under a general surgical anaesthetic, completely unconscious. While Jordan, by contrast, is now completely familiar with the dentist and able to accept any treatment that is needed. Jordan's progress meant one less burden on Brian, negating the need for him to take time off of work every time Jordan had an appointment and play the role of chair cushion. We were always mindful that Jordan had to do things at his own pace and never forced him to engage in any activity. In fact, there was no way he could be pushed lest we put him off forever. Slowly, patiently, we would allow him to become used to the world around him, knowing this was the only way he could progress. Even deeper water. Swimming was a similar story. I knew we had to very slowly acquaint Jordan with the idea of being in the water, very slowly and gently, quite literally allowing him to test the water by putting a toe in at a time. Jordan made trips to the swimming pool either with Brian or with his school and they both let him take his time, allowing him over the course of many visits to become accustomed at his own pace. Brian would at first allow Jordan to sit on the edge of the swimming pool and dangle his feet in it before he was ready to take the plunge. Also, as a family, we took him to the seaside and walking on a sandy beach, we would stroll to the shoreline and allow the waves to lap our feet. We took him anywhere where we could slowly introduce the idea of water and gently familiarise him with it. Introducing new things into his world was greatly helped by our gradually coming to relate to how his mind worked. Then all that we needed was saintly patience and the repetitive explanation of every new situation before he entered it. Whenever something caused him anxiety and we saw his fears rising or we could see signs that indicated he was nervous we would not pander to them. Instead we would laugh at the situation be it the waves lapping high enough on his legs to cause him concern having his feet measured in a shoe shop or the strangeness of the dentist's chair. For our role was to introduce Jordan to the world without placing fear in him, or between him and the future. Time waits for no man. One of the idiosyncrasies we were all aware of, especially in the early years, was that Jordan did not understand the concept of things happening in the future. He thought everything happened immediately. So the moment he had some concept of language and we mentioned a trip to the shops, that we were going to eat a meal, anything at all, he thought it was to happen right now. When we made any trip, the moment we mentioned it, even before it was time to go, all his nervousness would come to the fore and he would be lost to his own trepidation. If we said we were going shopping, even though shopping made mixed feelings arise in Jordan, he would always think we were going immediately and he would rush to the front door. Any delay, and he would stand screaming at the front door. To prevent this happening, we learned not to announce any activity or a future event until it was actually time to do it, to get ourselves ready for any trip before mentioning anything to him. Typically, we would ensure we were all dressed and ready to go before we made any mention of our plans to Jordan. In the early years, Jordan had no interest in other people so it didn't matter that we were all furtively getting dressed in Wellington boots and winter coats for an unannounced trip to the shops. Even this would give him no clue that an excursion was imminent. We could have laid down on the floor wearing raincoats, flip-flops, earmuffs and summer hats and he would not have shown the slightest bit of interest. He found no behaviour stranger than any other. Once this strategy of not talking about outings in advance was adopted, typically When all our preparations were made, we would begin to dress Jordan in his outdoor clothes. When we had taken this approach as far as we could, and it was obvious he was becoming bewildered at the preparations, we would then, and only then, announce what it was we were doing and why. Everything we did for him, we did to further his life, and to build him so that he could have an increasing level of independence. Some autistic children, despite their family's very best efforts, can remain totally dependent on others well into adulthood and even for the rest of their lives. If you can imagine what it is like to be in his shoes, it means you are one step nearer to knowing how to find solutions that could work for him. Slowly, little by little, we recognised that Jordan had the smallest of chances of learning and growing. We realised that he had a hope of developing and a chance of happiness and independence in his life. Knowing that there was hope far beyond the bleakness of our original expectations, kept us all going. Jordan and the beach Determination can't be all that keeps you going. Everyone needs a break now and then, but holidays with Jordan are few and far between, to say the least. And it is a very rare event for us to go away for anything more than a day trip as a family. Just over ten years ago, when Jordan was around five years old, I could see that Brian and Lisa very much needed a break. The responsibility of Jordan, the stress and the lack of sleep were all taking their toll and they were getting to the point where the strain was beginning to show. So I decided to treat them to some time away, a summer break to help them recharge their batteries. I knew the easiest solution was to find a self-catering venue where we could give Jordan the food he was used to, somewhere that did not involve the uncertainties of putting him on a plane. None of us could imagine what would happen if we even attempted this and not too far away so that we did not have to keep him in a car for too long. In fact, before I decided that a car trip was preferable, I did investigate with an airline what facilities they offered autistic children, and they offered to allow us to let Jordan sit on a plane and become familiar with it, which I thought was very nice of them. They had obviously had some experience of allowing children with special needs to become familiar with the surroundings and overcome their fears. However, When I considered just how much luggage we would need to take, I soon realised that travelling by car was far more practical an option. Choosing a self-catering venue also meant that I could relieve Lisa of the burden of cooking. We would not be troubled by other guests and we would be able to keep an eye on Jordan more easily. If we were also able to get somewhere with a secure garden, then he could run around to his heart's content. Another consideration, and a very important one, if we were to have a successful trip, was that by that age Jordan had already discovered computer games. Having found something that kept him happily occupied and absorbed, Lisa and Brian had encouraged this pastime. Brian had bought him a computer games console, and his love of it and his propensity for repetitive behaviours meant it was very difficult to keep him away from the gradually growing pile of computer games. We might manage it for a day or so if we kept him busy and out of the house, but that would, in all probability, be the limit. And no matter where we were in the world, without his games, Jordan would want to return to the welcome familiarity of his computer and the flashing lights on his television screen. So I contacted a friend who lived on the coast and asked her if she knew of anywhere that might be suitable. Luckily she knew of the ideal property, just a few short minutes from the beach with a private garden, nice big rooms and in all, not much more than an hour's drive away in the picturesque seaside town of Broadstairs. It was summer, we were in the middle of some beautiful weather and we soon found ourselves all booked for the trip and ready to go. We travelled in my car, loading in everything we needed. Jordan, Lisa, Brian and myself, all our luggage, Jordan's television and computer games and all the paraphernalia we needed for a week away. It was packed to the absolute limit and I doubt we could have fitted one more bag in there with us. This was actually the first time that Jordan had come away on a proper holiday with us and we spent the weeks before the trip preparing him, constantly repeating that we were going on a holiday and that it would be really good fun, even though we knew that at that age he would have no idea what we were talking about. Indeed, he pretty much ignored us and our efforts to prepare him with constant references to living in a new house, just for a few days, all the way up until the time of the trip. When we arrived, the home was ideal. We busied ourselves, putting our clothes in the cupboards and checking the property over for anything that might be dangerous for Jordan. At five years old, he couldn't be trusted any more than a two-year-old could and so we had to ensure that the perimeter of the garden was secure, that there were no dangerous items he could lay his hands on and no rooms he could inadvertently lock himself in. Our seven days away were beautiful. It wasn't long before we were visiting the beaches and it was so lovely to see Jordan having so much fun, ecstatic with the freedom of it all. You could almost imagine he didn't have a care in the world. He could run around with no immediate dangers. It was equally lovely to see my daughter and Brian having a bit of space and time with each other. It was even better when my sons, who lived not too far away, decided to join us, both bringing their partners with them. I love having the family all together. Mark visited for the day and Gino stayed overnight and we had a marvellous time. The boys kept an eye on Jordan as he planed on the sand and took him around the amusement arcades, which Jordan absolutely loved. It was a holiday and so we decided we didn't want to go through the trials of denying Jordan what he wanted to do. And so whenever he saw a flashing machine he liked, we would give him a coin to put in the slot, witnessing his delight. Jordan was in his element. Lisa and Brian were enjoying the pleasure of having their family around them and I was so happy that the holiday was working out well for everyone. It was one of the few times when I felt that we had actually achieved something, that Jordan had a bit of happiness and everyone was able to be part of it. Days passed without taking a daily trip to the beach, watching Jordan play on the slot machines, running around wherever he was in sheer delight. We would sit in the sun watching him having fun. Eating the ice cream he would not touch, and it allowed us all to have the break we needed. Even though it rushed by, the week could not have gone better for us all. And to this day, I keep a photograph on my mantelpiece to remind me of that special time. This concludes Chapter 7 of Jordan's Pathway, the true life story of one boy's journey with autism. Listen out for our next podcast episode where we bring you a special reading of the Jordan's Pathway poem entitled, Only You Can Help Me. And if you're enjoying Jordan's Pathway, please find us on Amazon, where the full version of the book is available in Kindle or paperback, delivered straight to your door. In the meantime, this is your host, Roland Bush Cavell, wishing you a very good pathway.